You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. I am modulating my voice. This is Bill, and I'm your co-host along with Nancy Burns, and it is Monday night, March 14th, 2016, three days away from St. Patrick's Day. We are your co-hosts on Future Theater Live, broadcasting from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solbury Village, Pennsylvania, on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And our producer, back with us, is Angel Espino, the Jackal, and Chris Brown has joined us. Hi, folks. Hi, everybody. Hi, Bill. Hi, Chris. Hi, Bill. Nancy? Hi, Angel. Hi, Nancy. I think Nancy's out. Nancy's, uh, Nancy's yeah. out. Oh, I was muted. I was muted. Yeah, mute. Sorry. I was there you got go. Mute on. Yeah. I live with that mute button on because, and many, many a time, I screw up with it just like that. So I'm so glad that we are tonight being produced by our producer. That's a hard mm-hmm. producing job, the producer job. I'm so glad that <laughs> I just heard the countdown tonight instead of the instead of the horribleness of lining everything up. Oy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear your voice, Angel. Yes, Thanks. indeedy. Thanks. Yeah, you never you never said that the job was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. I do. I do. And you're, you know, everybody knows that your mom has, in fact, left this particular part of existence and is now mm-hmm. living 100% in your heart mm-hmm. and that you're hurting and, and uh, you're not going to be, you say, all over the place tonight. You're not going to be all through the conversation. You, no, you say. I'm, really, I'm not really in the mood to be uh, on air much. And I hear you. I'm not, I'm not very jovial you know, at the moment. So. I know. I hear you. But I have just... Oh. I just have one teeny little question because you sort of answered it and I th- I brought it up a few other shows and nobody really can give Bill and me the answer. Um, is this movie Deadpool a comedy, a satire? <laughs> is it is the guy supposed to be outwardly gay? No. Or is no, that he, a joke? That's a joke. That's a big joke. But does he know that he sound everything he says sounds gay? Not everything he says sounds gay. Seriously, you know, like I'll have an ice cream cone. Oh, I'm going to have it all over. It seems like everything. <laughs> I mean, is it is it meant uh, for the first time in that's, that's our meant, lives? That's part of, that's do we part not of the get joke, it? Yeah. That's part of yeah. the joke. Yeah. <sighs> it's the biggest grossing movie. Um, it's like everybody got the joke, and I just I, I think. Okay, when the credits roll, they're meant to be jokes, right? Mm, well, not necessarily. No. I mean, they, they, actually, they, they did have an after-credit scene, which was pretty funny. It was uh, spoofing right. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was very, very uh-huh. funny. If you stayed yeah. after the credits, you know what I mean. It's, it was very funny. We'll, we'll yeah. Together. Well, see, that's cool. Are you breaking yeah, up? That, Deadpool is kind of like a spoof of the superhero genre. It's kind of what it okay. really is. Well, that's and, what it is. Okay. Yeah, it's a spoof within right. the universe itself. So it, he's an actual character in the X-Men universe. He really exists in that universe. But he mm-hmm. is played off as a spoof of the genre. 
And okay. that's why well, he's now, able to break the fourth is, wall, it, and he does things that you normally wouldn't see. Well, what about the gay okay. stuff? I mean, I thought he was the first openly gay superhero. No, he's considered pansexual, which means he's mm-hmm. straight with women. He likes women, but he will mess around and say, you know, flirtatious things like to his enemies just to mess with them. Well, that's not really pansexual. That's like mocking homosexuality. Well, you can kind of call it that, but in, in reality, never yeah. he's never seen like having any gay sex or anything like that, or any okay. um, weird anything really too out there, you know. Yeah, I hate being I hate being so far out of the cultural <laughs> construct that he's I, a tennis racket. He hits from both sides. There you go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so yeah, so and Bill had some ideas for some topics for tonight. I yeah, think. but I forgot them so. Yeah, well, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you take the lead. Indeed. What? Tell well, us. Tell, let's talk, yeah. Well, well, our, our our guest tonight is Tom Moore, correct? And, and Tom right. Moore wrote and thank a you to, Okay, of, couple couple businesses. That's a big thank you to Danny. Okay, Danny thank brought you, Danny. Tom Moore. Thank you, Danny, for and, Tom Moore. And just another uh, bit of. Uh, happy talk. I wanted to wish White Crow a happy birthday today. Pi Day. His birthday. Little shout out. Okay. No business. So, you were saying? Okay. No. All, all I was saying was our guest tonight is Tom Moore. And Tom Moore wrote a series of books. And I... Up for discussion. It's the called... It, it's the Gentle Way series. And it's basically talking to your angels talking to ETs, talking to, um, it's almost like talking to uh, non-corporeal creatures, except for the ETs that might be corporeal. Well, but is it almost like talking to yourself? Well, that's the question for Tom Moore. Mm-hmm. That's it the is. question. It is. And I spoke with him earlier, and I know he's the kind of guy who can answer that question. Good. With honesty and with with uh, with great style, I think. I think I think our listeners are in for a treat. Because a lot of times, you you can actually project that you're talking to somebody else because you're channeling that whole interaction and where you're channeling it from, channeling it from the future, channeling it from another dimension, channeling it from another reality. That's what happened at the White House during Bill Clinton's presidency. This was right after um, Hillary Clinton, then First Lady, now presidential candidate, um, made the comments that her husband's presidency, Bill's presidency, was being sabotaged by what she called a vast right-wing conspiracy. And, and, And she's very loyal. She stands by her man. And one of the things that the main thing she wanted to do was was find guidance. That's why it's it's so funny in these debates to uh, hear Bernie Sanders and, and, and I can understand what he's saying, railing, because Bernie is a railer, railing about her writing a forward for a book by Henry Kissinger and talking to Henry Kissinger. But what what lies beneath that is that these are two very different personalities. Chuck Todd tonight said 
that Bernie Sanders has been saying, this, uh, actually it was Howard Dean, who was the governor of Vermont, former governor of Vermont, said that Bernie Sanders has been saying the exact same thing for 40 years. Whereas Hillary Clinton, it's funny, she is kind of a seeker, unlike Sanders. Well, she's it's also because information Sanders... From, well, she's a seeker from information from, from other sources. And so, in, so the story goes that the person she most wanted to seek from was First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, who was unfortunately dead. And because Eleanor Roosevelt's husband, Franklin D. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, faced something very, very similar in his presidency. There was an assassination attempt on him in 1933, where the mayor of Chicago took the bullet for him. And then there was an actual coup d'etat planned by some of those very wonderful folks who gave you the Holocaust um, from America, financed that. A number of corporations rose up and tried to get the army to overthrow Roosevelt because of his quote-unquote socialist ideas. Do you know who and the so, general was who saved that particular... It was, it, it was, actually, it was actually a colonel, hmm. and, but I, I forget the person's name. But, we, should, um, we should look that up. But played by Kirk Douglas in the movie, but the, but the thing was... What, mo- what movie? Seven Days in May. Mm-hmm. That was the movie. That was the novel based on that real event. Is that a, is that that's a good movie to see, isn't it? It's a wonderful movie. Folks should see it. Burt Lancaster, Craig Douglas. I mean, Kurt Douglas see. is still Ava alive Gardner. too. Ava Gardner. Right. Yep. Yep. What? Now Angel would want to probably see that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. See. And and so we shall. What is it so called? Seven happened, days in May. Seven days in seven May. Seven days in May. It was a novel by Fletcher Knebel, and it was made into a movie with Burt Lancaster, Kurt Douglas. Ava See if you can find it is what I was really, yeah. Okay, and and while I while I've interrupted, uh, what are the what what are the political uh, leanings of Angel and Chris? Before we continue to talk about Hillary, out of curiosity, Angel, are you still for Trump? Um, yeah, I'm actually uh, still voting for Trump because I want to see a uh, disaster happen. Why not? Okay. Yep. What about you, Chris? I'm swimming, and in the same uh, boat that uh, Angel's thinking there, that's exactly what I want to see. But I've always said this, that essentially I believe it takes a businessman to run the country, and I don't think it takes a politician to run the country. And you know what? Donald Trump might be really good at getting in there and making a deal, so who knows? That's totally it's totally insane. That's like saying it takes a it takes a plumber to do electricity. No, when not, not really. When you walk into the when you walk into the White House, when you walk into the White House, it's plumbing. It's not electricity. It's politicians. Yeah, Nancy, when you can no, that you're completely wrong. When you consider that this country is a giant corporation that houses many corporations, what it needs is less lawyers and politicians, more businessmen to know how to. But it's not run like a corporation. It's run. It but is. it's not run That's like a sad no, part. It is. Here's the big yes. difference, everybody. Here's the big difference, and then we'll go back to the Hillary story, which I think is funny. Here's the big difference. The difference is that the United States has a constitution, and the United States, the government, doesn't run like a business because the government represents the people. Businesses represent the business and the owners, and so there's a major difference. But the big the difference, of course, is is the Constitution. I mean, and so the Constitution really binds the different officers of the government to do certain kinds of things. So where a businessman, say a Mitt Romney, or Donald Trump might say, buy that, sell that, get into this deal, get into that deal, 
as Obama found out, you have three different branches of government, and no one element of government basically can exercise a supreme power, except the Supreme Court, but that, that's also very different. That, that, that's yeah. very different. That's where I, so, I was getting So it's not a business. I mean, that's, uh, that's the difference. And people that say it's a business, I mean, you could say you want to save money, you could say you want to be able to raise money, but to say that running it like a business m- means that somehow somehow that the, uh, that uh, the doing what businesses do for profit is 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 the is the way you run um, a constitutional republic uh, that's not that's not the way it goes but here's what happened at the white house so uh, the preface is that hillary clinton is a seeker of information not that's what she is she's not a railer of information she's a seeker of information so knowing that Bill Clinton, this is First Lady Hillary Clinton, knowing that Bill Clinton faced real, a, a real right-wing attempt at purging him at, at, at every turn, she looked at the one other First Lady who faced this, and that was Eleanor Roosevelt. She, she calls a, a medium spiritualist, a channeler, Jean Houston, into the White House, and Jean Houston encourages Hillary Clinton to open herself up spiritually and receive the spirit of Eleanor Roosevelt as guidance to figure out what to do about the vast right-wing conspiracy she was so worried about. And that's what happened at the White House. It was just an unbelievable scandal. You mean you're asking ghosts to come into the White House? You have a channeler in the White House. How how people quickly forget that back in the um, back in the uh, middle eighties, Joan Quigley was actually a, uh, an astrologer, was actually advising Ronald Reagan's schedule, the most propitious days, the most propitious times, of the most propitious days. So, well, yeah, well, one of so, the things that. Um that when uh, that I was talking to Tom about this afternoon was this very topic, um, not Hillary and looking for Eleanor Roosevelt per se, but Hillary slash looking for information for knowledge for how can I get? It's exactly what John D was saying. How do I you know now that I own every book ever printed or handwritten? How do I get more knowledge? And in the case of John D, and in the case, I guess, of Hillary, you go to the angels. That's that's what we right. we start exactly. talking. I mean, yeah. And and but but I got off on a tangent with Tom about we're we're kind of the same age, and we are both all of all of us here are all self-employed business people. We're all entrepreneurs, and for an entrepreneur of any kind or a, a creative person, the Google is the greatest thing that's happened to us. You know, the ability to get any information on a moment's notice. And I've found that young people use it all the time now. And so when I start to tell a story that that is unbelievable to my family and friends, they they always have their phones out and they're always Googling stuff as we go. And it's a big help because Bill and I have done some incredibly weird things. Um, you know, we find ourselves in stories with weird people at the end of the day, and people can then start Googling and see that we're telling the truth. But anyway, so so Tom, I think I'd like to ask him about the Hillary uh, channeling thing and what channeling means. 
to a sane person, let's say. Right, and and she wasn't she wasn't the first first lady who availed herself of the services of a channeler. Before her, there was um, Mary Todd Lincoln, and before her, there was um, Franklin Pierce's wife. Who, probably, who, probably anybody with a few extra dollars would avail themselves of whatever they can. You know. Well, no, I mean this was this was this was after when the Pierces were on their way to Washington for Franklin Pierce's inauguration. There was an accident on the train, a kind of a derailment. The sun fell off. It was crushed against the wheels. Barbara Pierce, um, Barbara Pierce was 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 so was beyond the ability to be consoled. And, and she fully believed that it was this terrible election and they're having to move into the White House that caused the death of her son. And so the, the Fox sisters, the very famous, is that you, Mr. Splitfoot, the very famous Fox sisters were called to the White House to um, bring the spirit of um, young Pierce to his mother so she could be reconciled. The exact same thing happened with Mary Todd Lincoln when Willie Lincoln died in the White House from typhus because the, the, uh, the White House, Washington, D.C. was a swamp. And, and the White House had a, a, um, a tainted water system. And Willie Lincoln died of typhus. And Mary Todd Lincoln was, besides being bipolar, she too had a mental illness and she would not leave the family quarters and she had to. And so um, Lincoln employed the services of a, of a, a mentalist, of a clairvoyant called Nettie Coburn, who invoked the spirit of Willie Lincoln and that settled down Mary Todd Lincoln um, and enabled her to get over, to basically <clears throat> come out of the bedroom and join and and the seances during the Lincoln administration in the 1860s were so well in in the early 1860s were so popular that he would have um, Nettie Coburn come in and do like um, readings for members of the cabinet and things like that. So the White House is, is no stranger to how to talk to your inner angel. Well, and that's the subject of book two. Um, right. And basically, the, the, the number one question I'm sure everybody asks Tom, and we will too, is um, how do you start a dialogue? How, do, how does the ordinary person just like phone up their angel? And uh, it's probably, it could be that easy, although I'll tell you, ever since the Rules of Attraction, the movie, um, I definitely have tried but I've never had any success. And supposedly you're supposed to ask your angel. And I've, I've asked my grandma to be my angel, and she's busy. <laughs> you know, they're all busy. My Aunt Mary. It could happen. But, it could you know, happen. So how, I got you know, Aunt Mary, too. Do you? Yeah. She was my godmother. She was my godmother. I love somebody named Mary also. Yeah. Mary Jane. Mary. Oh, yeah. Mary Jane. <laughs> there you go. I'm asking the wrong Aunt Mary. Yeah. Oh, by the way, by the way, I just read Vermont is on the fast track to be the first state in the union that more than legalizes it. It's sort of like I didn't read the story. It was a passing headline on like Twitter or something. But what, Vermont, unless you're stoned, then you get fined. 
I don't know, but supposedly they're going to really legalize it, like no holds barred type thing, something like that. You know, everybody's timid, but Vermont supposedly is, is on. And that's that's only one of many states that are starting to make bubbling noises that they're, they're going to do something. put it in the maple syrup. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm telling you, um, it's changing rapidly because it's almost like every other state, all of us, the rest of us, not, not Chris, um, all of us are saying, wait a second. <laughs> You know, we got to get pitchforks and we got to light them. We got to march on. Actually, we should do a march, but the stoners can never get themselves, you know, underway. I couldn't guess. figure out. They couldn't figure out. They could figure out what yeah. time to meet. Oh, really? Well, four twenty. Good morning. No, no, four twenty. Uh, I suppose you meant PM. Okay, so see, that's that's all. Those are all stupid cliches, right? <laughs> For real. And and yeah, and, and by the way, um, just I just to kind of not leave this week without talking about Trump a little bit because I think Trump has now become okay I think all of you people um, on the phone here should read an article that was written about Donald Trump back in the 80s when he was getting divorced from his first wife and he had been a he had been such a it's like he was governor of New York anybody who lived in New York knew it kind of lived under his reign you know he was a he was a, a presence and he was getting divorced from his first wife, and he was fooling around with Martha Maples. Her name was Marla Maples. Marla, Marla Maples. Oh yeah, I, I remember. I remember those days too. Back when you know it was Phil Donahue, and all those were kind of still going right then. And he went on Phil Donahue one time and talked about how he could give a hundred dollars to everybody in the audience, and we were all watching. We were kids, my buddy. Wow. And I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, just going on just back then, and yeah, yeah, I remember Marla Maples, and you know. Well, sure. this this was an article written uh, in the era during that era, you know, like the 80s. It was contemporary, mm-hmm. and it's it absolutely positively holds up. And I'm trying – and it's a Vanity Fair article. It had been in Vanity Fair, right? Um, yeah. And I'm trying to find it, and as I talk, I should have I should have lined it up. But anyway, uh, if you look on Vanity Fair, Donald Trump article, uh, you'll, you'll find it because it, it was a big cover story. And that way you can learn – all the questions people are wondering about him now, how does he handle, as Chris said, how does he handle uh, disappointment and failure and being told no? This article tells you. This article it's all tells what you. Bill said there. I mean, granted, you know, I say that. I want to see it all go down. But it's, you know, yeah. it's what I, I said a couple of weeks back on, on Sky Watchers, you know, when I was making my joke. But it is all that, what, what Bill said. When he gets together with all those people and he has to butt heads, and for the first time in his life, he just isn't going to get anywhere, that's when it can be the spoiled brat, old man, can't get my way, right. okay, comes so, out, I quit. Right. So I found, okay, the story is called After the Gold Rush. And this was written in 1990, not 1980, September 1990, by Marie Brenner. Marie Brenner is a yeah, really good writer. Okay, so she's a good writer, and this reads like water. This is easy to read. So it's called After the Gold Rush, Vanity Fair, Marie Brenner. Read it because you'll enjoy you'll enjoy knowing more about Trump. You really will because people have these questions now. And, you know, you, you'll want to know what kind of guy you're – you're admiring. You really well, do to need to you see know, this. To Chris's point, also to Angel's point about I, I, I want to see some real chaos, that's the one spot where you really want to see more boring than chaos. Uh, I mean, John I F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy blew into the White House. Uh, uh, President Eisenhower President Eisenhower had set up and, and green-lighted the Bay of Pigs invasion. 
And Kennedy didn't want the United States to invade Cuba. He just didn't want that to happen. But the prior president had done it. It was underway, and Kennedy let it go forward. And it was an absolute... And, and I spoke to Felix Rodriguez and other people down from JM Wave uh, down, down in Florida. It was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Everything went wrong. The CIA sometimes blows things big time. It blew this big time. Everybody in the Cuban community in Miami knew because people were talking. This was not Normandy in 1944. Everybody knew there was going to be an invasion. Everybody knew where the invasion was going to go. Castro was ready. And so when these, or when the freedom fighters were pinned down on the beach, People were saying, you know, why wouldn't Kennedy bomb the Cuban troops? Why wouldn't Kennedy? And he, and he didn't. He just let them, and he earned the enmity. Well, that failure at the Bay of Pigs prompted the failure at the Vienna summit the following year, prompted the missiles of October, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the following year. In other words, you don't learn on this job, or if you learn uh, you better be well insulated, and that's part of the worry that that people have. Even even in yeah, but they Trump's had the same party. but they had the same worry with Obama, you know, eight years ago. Same exact thing. He's going to learn on the job because he's not prepared. And, and we all right. knew and really Obama and Obama and Obama, but and he took a long, long time to do that. And he also, yeah. however, was he was a politician. Picture picture Trump being with everybody's back turned to him. Nobody will talk to him. You know, they have, you know, oh, I don't know, uh, about, I don't know about that. Uh, is to be respected. Yeah, but I don't know about that. Yeah. He has a lot of people backing him. Look, Chris Christie's backing him. Up, you know, oh, great. Him. Chris Christie. Know, but he, he's sucking up for Attorney Chris General. Chris Christie is not a member there, of Congress. No, but there are people that are backing him, and believe it or not, a lot nah. of these Republicans that are naysayers now, when they have to give him the nomination, they're not only going to give it to him. Oh, that's true. Him. No, no, that's no, true. No, but, but it's possible. But I'm, it's possible the opposite. It's possible. And this is where well, we have is a... possible, but very... Well, no, but we have a, listen, we have a listener. I hope he's listening tonight. His name is, his name is John, and he's been on our show. But he's a little bit undercover, so I won't give his whole name. He's a he's a he's a mercenary. He has John said so. Yeah, yeah, and he's been on the show with um, uh, on on PS, PTSD. Well, he said that the riot, these potential riots, these these things happening around Trump, this uh-huh. may be coming from the actual really insider rich people who do not want Trump worse than anybody else doesn't want Trump. Right. Because think about it. You know, he, it, making a deal is not a pretty thing. It's like making sausages. And you don't want to know how deals are made. And, and, and their deals are not beautiful. Their houses might be beautiful, but their deals are not. And I think that they yeah. don't want Trump in there, you know, as, you know, he's like the lowest of the low when it comes to it this. It could stuff. literally, if he does get, these guys could just in their mind could go, yeah, that's okay. We'll vote him in because right now we're plotting up a way to sabotagely kill him. And, I hope uh, not. I hope know, not. That's I know, mean. I know what that's <laughs> mean, but you know what I mean. That's that's a horrible thing. That's America. But, uh, that's America. No, that's America. <laughs> but just okay. Answer me this one riddle that, that that blows my mind about when people say he's an outsider. Everybody gets mad. And is universally mad at all the politicians who are puppets who are taking all the money from the, all the rich guys, right? right? If the rich, if taking money from the rich guys is really bad, why would you hand everything over to a rich guy? It makes no sense to me. If well, you know, if the store rose, no, you've been handed over. No, but everybody who runs is a rich guy. 
Not I, so. Look, no, yeah, everybody the Democrats, wants money. They're not Democrats broke. Running. No, we've got two Democrats running who are not rich guys. I mean, Hillary's I, rich they now. Money, they got more money than I do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, but everybody Hillary, 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 uh, recently has been, uh, you know, been, there's been talk that she's been taking in a lot of the campaign money and giving it to her own bank account. It's like she's taking the funds in for, like, speeches and different things like that. So, and supposedly she raised up, like, $200 million. And she looks money. like she's gained a lot of weight, so, too. Just, yeah, sorry, she's eating at McDonald's every day, I'm sure, from all of that. <laughs> so, so, you see, about it, so you see, so you see, okay, so, right okay, so but this is my Donald case in point. You can actually too. see how hard it is for a woman to run for a job that's always been held by by men because the common is she's putting on a lot of weight. I mean, and look at Donald Trump. He's a huge man, really, job, underneath Chris. of it all. Right. I'm I mean, sorry. I, I mean, look Way at some of these people. I mean, Chris Christie ran for president. If the guy got any bigger, they'd give him his stomach its own zip code. That's for God's sake. Here's the fact yeah. And actually, you know what? So I anyway, think oh, and we're coming. I, I it's him, the bottom of the hour. It is think, almost the bottom I of the hour. Chris uh, Christie and uh, Trump will end up being the uh, the nomination. That's what well, he's going to take him as his VP. No, I think I think that Bernie Carson is going to. Carson could be involved too. Who? Carson. Who's the, who's the, who's the Carson guy? Uh, is that his name? Uh, he was a joke. He mm-hmm. he was doing okay. it just for the fun of it. I think just ah, like you know. I mean, do you realize I have how much? Chance of being president than that guy. Certainly. I think Chris. He was selling books. I call, I call yeah. Christy guy out myself, but we'll see. Time will tell. But, but it's guys, break time. If you run, yeah, yeah, it is break time. But if you run for president, you can increase your talking fees for the rest of your life. You were a candidate. So that's part of, partly why some people do it, you say. You see, when Hillary and Bill left the White House in 2000, well, 2001, <clears throat> they literally had been personally financially drained by, all, by Bill Clinton having to defend himself and paying for lawyers. And you could say, well, it's trouble he got himself into. Yes, but they were financially drained. And so they both set about to raise money, doing speaking fees. Hillary ran for the Senate. I mean, that's immediately what she did because we were at the Democratic Convention. Oh, we, we weren't at the convention. We were in Los Angeles in, in the year 2000 uh, when the Democratic Convention uh, was at Staples Center. And I remember um, Al Gore had just been nominated. We were eating at a restaurant, and then Jack Rodham, Hillary's brother, came over to the table to ask for money for Hillary's Senate run. So everybody knew Gore would probably lose. I mean, he came closer than people thought. But um, there was a uh, there was a big push on because really nobody had a job. I mean, Bill Clinton had a retirement income from Arizona, uh, I'm sorry, from, from Arkansas and the federal government, but still, I mean, they were really heavily in debt. So it's okay, not so as I though think she it's was probably time, ma- yeah, it could be time for a break. I think we, yeah, it I think is. Well, it is time for a break. This is the bottom of the hour, and we will be back uh, on Future Theater with the guest Tom Moore. So, we are your co-host, Bill and Nancy Burns on Future Theater on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter digital network and we will be back after these messages with our guest tom moore so don't go away imagine no longer being tied down to your computer but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go talk stream live introduces our first ever iphone application the talk shows you follow now follow you 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com. Covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, Secret Societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the internet. And we are back on Future Theater from the banks of Primrose Creek on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our guest Tom Moore and our producer Angel Espino, the Jackal, and Chris Brown, and our guest Tom Moore. So, so Tom, you have written a number of books. It's, it's um, basically how to talk to 
right? How to talk to your angel, how to talk to ETs. It's, it's the gentle way series. And could you tell us the background of these books and why you wrote them? Good story. Okay. Sure. Uh, the gentle way uh, uh, was first introduced to me in a, a um, spiritual article that was in the Sedona Journal of Emergence. And a, a gentleman wa- uh, by the name of Robert Shapiro was channeling a being by the name of Zosh uh, uh, that's in the creator class. And mm. in, it, in the article it said, uh, you, can cre- uh, you can request benevolent outcomes in your life. And so I said, hmm, that's interesting. I think I'll, I'll uh, experiment with that. And that started me on the road. So, and what do you mean by creator class? Um, okay, there are billions of creators and billions of universes, and I've been told that some universes are as small as the head of a pen, and others are larger than ours. And Zosh is a creator that was attracted to our creators of this universe um, uh, creation. Because he was doing something totally different, he was trying to work with negativity, and and from there sprang the Earth experiment. So so Zosh uh, is a creator class, but but this is you know he's like a a helper for for our creator. Uh, my guardian angel Theo has told me that our creator would be ranked in the top five of all the creators in his, in existence. So but I mean, you're you're talking about there the person we call God or the creature we call God is it's himself one of many creators. Yes. Well, that's a that's a bit hard to handle because don't we always right. have to believe that our God is the God? I mean, as you know, as to to remain sane, Americans maybe. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, a, a lot of people have to think that way because after all. Uh, all the holy books were written hundreds of years ago for for people that were were non literate, and right. so now we're we're starting to learn a little bit more about how how all these universes uh, are made, if you want to call it that. I, I mean, we've got. I, I found out from uh, from my brother on another planet, as I call him, Antura, that we've got three universes that are adjacent to our universe. But only one is uh, is visible in our night sky, and we think it's our universe, but it's actually the the next one over. Wow! And so, therefore, alternate so universe the, theory. Or what is the border? I mean, if you're looking at the night sky uh-huh. and you're seeing constellations that and stars that might that uh, that are hundreds of millions of years old, and you, I mean, how do you know where the border is between? our reality and another universe that we think is our reality well we don't okay except that i've been told that if you look in the night sky sort of like towards the sagittarius Mm -hmm. complex or whatever that's in it's in that direction okay well, I mean, well, okay. Can, that, we, can, can we go back to how you know when, when you say you read something in in the Sedona um, paper? Sure. Yeah. Um, but you're but you're from Dallas, and you've been a businessman your whole life, right? So at what point did you? Um, and I, I don't believe you were probably brought up in <laughs> Buddhism, let's say, or something. You were probably 
how were you brought up in what religion? Uh, well, let's see, Baptist, Methodist, Christian. <laughs> okay. You, you know, okay. Right, so, and so, how, okay. so from there to here. Okay. It, it all dates back to... 1969, and there was a an astrologer in Dallas whose hobby was the Dallas Cowboys. And in the Dallas Morning News, one day they had a whole story about him, and he said, well, the Dallas Cowboys are not going to the Super Bowl this year, and they had never gone at that time, but they're going to go next year. And he gave eight or ten reasons why. And I said, gosh, I've never read anything like that. So I tore the article out of the paper and keep in mind, at that time, I owned a, a, a tour club, a, a, a single skiers for Dallas, uh, it, it was called at that time, okay? And I took people skiing every weekend. <laughs> that was my first business. Well, and, that sounds like fun. Texas? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, it was yeah. 600 miles to Rio Doso and Red River and, and Taos and, and oh, okay. so on. Oh, okay, New Mexico, okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, I bought this school bus, and we outfitted it with with seats that you could uh, make into beds at night. And I'd take thirty people. Uh, I'd drive that school bus along with someone that I'd give a free trip up there, and we'd drive it six hundred miles up and six hundred miles back, and we'd ski for two days and and drive it back. Okay. That sounds so, like a lot. A lot of fun. I wish I was there. I love to ski. <laughs> oh, me too. I, I skied for forty years. Um, okay, so uh, so at the end of the football season, I dragged that article out, and the guy had hit on about eighty percent of the reasons why they they didn't go to the Super Bowl. So I said, I don't know how this guy this works, but I called Braniff Airlines and I reserved three hundred airline seats on Bran- uh, on Braniff a year in advance to the Super Bowl in Miami, and uh, you know, the rest is history. They they did go to the Super Bowl the next year, made a lot of money, was able to to put down on a duplex and and start a travel agency. And and um, uh, so from then on, I, I, at my ski club parties, I would have um, uh, I'd have the parties on things like Venus, Trines, Mars or, or you know, the moon or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it'd be very good aspects. And um uh, so that started me on the path, you might say. And then, and then the second thing that sort of happened was in 1979. My my wife and I, by this time, we owned a, a wholesale tour company that we were selling tours through about 3,000 agents nationwide. And uh, so we were going to go to a World Congress of Travel Agents in Manila. And I had this. I had just started recording my dreams, and. Um, I uh, I had this dream of this explosion and a woman and some men involved. And it was so vivid that we canceled our trip to Manila but added days on to Hong Kong and, and Taipei. And so on the first day of the Congress, um, the uh, terrorists exploded a bomb in the front of the hall and injured uh, 10 travel agents. And that's where I normally would like to sit. I like to sit towards the front. And so after that, I said, I'm, I'm going to record my dreams the rest of my life, and I have. And it turned out it was a woman um, uh, that worked in the Philippine trade office in Los Angeles, and four men were arrested for, uh, for the bombing. Uh, so that's, that's sort of how things went along. I 
obviously have investigated many other modalities since then. I was trying the law of attraction many years before they ever put a label on it and uh, didn't work that well. And uh, I got in a little bit into numerology. I had uh, a, a numerologist tell me that I'm a, uh, uh, my life path is a 33. I'm a spiritual master, and my name is a 44, which is a material master. So it's just kind of gone along. It turned out that, that the, uh, I'm one of 10 people, I've been told, on the face of the earth that have had over 1,000 lives. And uh, so there I am. Wow. So, so ha- have you ever tried to um, connect with your prior lives? I have asked a lot of questions about my prior lives. Um, you have to understand, my sole interest is religions of the world. So I've been mm-hmm. around for the creation of each religion. As an example, I was told that I was Salome, uh, one of Jesus's uh, female disciples and and the mother of two of the of the male disciples. I was um, a friend of Muhammad. I was one of the five men who offered his head to the Sikh guru and uh, and became his close one of his close advisors and so and and even though the Hindu religion doesn't know this. Um, I've been told that Krishna in, incarnated seventy lives in a row as Krishna, but they they don't they don't have records of this. It was lost in in time, and I would pop up every few lives to see how he was getting along and what and how he was evolving. Wow! You know, it um, it's fascinating because um, actually you have a, a really interesting book that might be might be very um, sellable. I mean, um, I led many lives. <laughs> and just, <laughs> no, and, and just the Thank stories you. of the very yeah. lives, you know, just the stories of the lives you're living. You could do that in a series of, of volumes. I mean, if you've led yeah. a thousand lives, some of them, I'm sure, are more interesting than others, but um, with some really good spiritual channeling, you could probably inhabit those and have some interesting anecdotal stories to tell about what yeah, it was like. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you ahead. and Shirley MacLaine could get together, huh? <laughs> there we go. I, uh, she's yeah, actually because she, she, believe, she believes that, that she believes in, in prior that she's had prior lives too. I think right. in her in her experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and That's and fantastic. I understand that you know uh, past lives and and even future lives. I mean, I I, I know what my next three or four lives are going to be as an example um but i'm I'm on earth to be a catalyst um the reason i've uh, normally most people only have 600 to 800 lives and i ask well why why such a wide divergence between 600 and 800 and i was told that some souls like to get things over fast and others want to take a little bit more time so you have people that I call the drama queens, and you probably know people like this, that something is always happening in their life. And and that's because their soul wants to get these lives over over fast. And I said, gosh, I must be a slow learner if I 
if I've had a thousand and five lives and I was told no, I keep coming back to help people raise their vibrational levels. So, well, if you if you uh, know your future lives, mm-hmm. can you see the future around the lives you're leading? Uh, in, in other words, that should be phenomenal if you know your future lives and can make various predictions about the future. Um, like, for example, how far out is your is the is the most distant life you see in the future? Okay, um, and and I've been told even by my own soul uh, that that I'll have lives farther out than this, but uh, I'll be coming back to Earth. My next life is going to be back in my home planet, which is a water world, which is where Antura comes from. Okay, and and I'm some kind of religious, spiritual leader there, and I incarnate mm-hmm. the same every single life. So they're waiting on on me to come back, and so I'll have a life that's about fourteen hundred years long there. And then mm-hmm. my next Earth life is going to be in the thirty four hundred era, and I was told that we will not learn how to portal hop. We won't learn how to jump from one planet or one galaxy to another until about 3250 and just before that time about 30 3150 3175 somewhere in there there will be a large spaceship that will take off uh, uh, just using regular speed which may be close to the speed of light but it'll still be you know, it'll still still be normal. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll be taking off, and they're going to head for some star that they've identified a planet uh, that they think might be habitable. And these people, they'll they'll be I don't know two or three hundred at least will be in this huge spaceship, and they're going to take off. But in the meantime, another seventy five or hundred years down the way, we will have learned how to portal hop. And one of the first trips that that will be made will be to rescue these people and give them the opportunity to come back or to go ahead to the planet. But I was told that the planet they will choose will not be that great. Okay. And so in 3400, when my next life is, I will be a female space pilot and I will be one of the space pilots of one of 17 earth starships. We'll have 17 at that time. When I'm when I'm old enough to to be and on are stage. folks going to try to connect with the people who are going to that distant star? No. Um, well, I mean they'll be able to if they want to if they want to have telepathic communication. So I well, don't know. What I'm saying is, wouldn't that be a futile journey if if the planet really is not habitable? Well, but what do they do? Turn around in the mid-flight? Yeah, um, I think it's probably going to be pretty hard. So I don't know how that'll happen. That's that's to be left up to the people there. Now my next life after that will be back in 2600 era and mm-hmm. I will be uh helping people get ready to go to the stars. I don't know what that means. That's what I've been told. Then the life after that, I'll be back in the 3400 era, but I'll be staying on earth the whole time. I will you know, not Okay. 
That's amazing, Tom. You know, I was going to get back to that sporting thing. I'm a huge sporting fan. Now, could you okay. give me a little insight <laughs> of who's going to win that Super Bowl <laughs> on them years? I tell you, I'm ready to run off to Vegas right now and make my millions. Well, I, I tell you, uh, one of the great things about dreams is that, uh, you know, because I was so involved because the money is so good in running trips to the Super Bowl, um, I would dream about uh, about whether the Cowboys would win or lose. Now, it would never be the right score. It wouldn't be the same score as as it would happen, but it would be who who would win the game. So yeah. that's a that's another good reason for people to record your dreams every morning. Mm-hmm. Well, at, at what age did you determine that you had this ability? Which one? <laughs> Well, the ability to uh, uh, that your dreams pointed to real events then were real future events. Oh well, I mean, it started in '79 when I had when I had the dream of uh, of the terrace, and then after that, I, I, as an example, in the mid '80s, I I uh, I dreamed of a Delta-shaped craft crashing before the Delta Airlines um, 1011 crashed in Dallas. And uh, before the um, uh, before the space shuttle blew up in midair uh, with the uh, astronauts on board, um, I had a dream of being in a glass capsule and then bl- being underneath the ocean. And then before 9-11, I had three dreams. One dream, I dreamed of, of a biplane crashing, uh, which is symbolic of two planes, I thought. Uh, another dream where it was a Northwest Orient plane crashing to the east of Chicago. And the, uh, the third dream was the weirdest dream almost I've ever had in my life. There was a tornado going along the front of an office building, and behind it there was a row of people sitting in invisible chairs that were following along behind the tornado. I, uh, wow. Guys, I just wanted to tell you real quick that Nancy is disconnected uh, from the okay. call right now. <laughs> okay. I, I don't guess know she's going to restart. Or I, well, I think it, what it is is Angel's away from the computer right now, and he can't add her in, and he's the only one that can add her in because he started the group call. And so until Angel gets back, that's kind of until what's going to have to happen. And I'm okay. So then we'll just continue talking. So sure. so. Okay. Uh, so, Tom, um, how do you um, amalgamate into your daily life the fact that you can see things that far into the future and that far into the past? Well, but I don't. I don't do that. I do that in meditation. Okay. I see. Okay. So, uh, so we go up to two thousand and five. In two thousand and five, um, my wife and I attended. And a seminar in Sedona, Arizona, put on by Dick Sutphen, S-U-T-P-H-E-N. I know who he is. Okay. Uh, You know, close to a guru, as I would call, uh, and a friend uh, uh, of mine. And um, uh, so I had been to a couple of his seminars in the past. I'd actually even uh, gotten the idea, and and we ran a – um, a psychic seminar in Dallas and Houston uh, with uh, Brad and Francie Steiger and Ruth Montgomery. Oh, yeah. uh, Ruth Montgomery and Dr. Uh, uh, Edith Fiore. And mm-hmm. uh, we had done quite well uh, doing that. And so knew all these people. 
And so uh, uh, Richard was having this seminar, Increasing Your Psychic Abilities. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd been to a couple of seminars. I didn't think I'd learn anything, but my wife wanted to go, and, and uh, so I was there to support her. So about the second day that, um, that we were having this, each day he would put us under several times. He would put us into these light trances to increase our psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And on the second day... Um, he was going to have us try automatic writing. And I had become friends with Robert Shapiro, the guy that originally had that article in, in the Sedona Journal. And he had channeled for me an Indian shaman living in the 1600s whose name in English was Reveals the Mysteries. And I had asked Reveals the Mysteries, well, you know, is, is my sole contract to support uh, Robert's work, you know, thinking, I mean, that he was the one that gave me the idea and reveals the mystery, said, no, it's not. And so I thought that was really strange. And so finally, when we're at this, uh, this seminar, uh, when he put us under, I decided I, I'm going to see if I can contact reveals the mysteries. And so I said, reveals the mysteries. Are you there after he put us under? And he said, yes, I am, Tom. And I said, oh, wow, this is great. And so I asked him. And he, he said, Tom, he said, uh, you're an Indian shaman living at the same time I am here in the 1600s. Your name is Stillwater, and you decided to incarnate, incarnate into the 20th and 21st centuries to reintroduce people to the gentle way. He gave me the name of the book the first time mm-hmm. I ever talked to him. And so he said, you're going to write books. And I said, books? I'm, I'm a financial guy. I'm a business guy. You know, I thought I'd be just – doing, doing uh, my film distribution uh, until I retired, and, and that was going to be it. And he said, no books. And so I got busy, and I wrote the first The Gentle Way book in 90 days. And, and now explain the premise of the, of the first of The Gentle Way books, because that started sure. this entire series. Sure. Okay. The gentle way, uh, and I, I was inspired to come up with a, a common saying everyone could say every time you needed to request a benevolent outcome. Uh, and, and you simply say, I request a most benevolent outcome. You can do it for a mundane thing, for a parking space in front of, of, of El Chico's restaurant. Thank you. Okay. Or... Uh, I request a most benevolent outcome for a seat on this busy bus or busy train. Thank you. And, and you do the mundane things because you get immediate feedback that the, this actually works. And then you could start trying it out as I did. I, I started out with the simple stuff, and then I started using it for everything. I mean, business meetings. Uh, one time I got uh, because a, a, a client of mine, a a TV, a Spanish TV network that's no longer in business in Fort Worth. Um, uh, they they did not follow the contractual terms of a agreement I had with them, and we were we were both sued. They were sued for five million dollars, and I was sued for a million dollars. Um, and another sure. distributor in Houston was sued for a million dollars. And and um, so, needless to say, I'm requesting benevolent outcomes all along. The way we had a, me- a mediation, and 
they uh, the network paid uh, between four and five hundred thousand dollars. The guy in Houston paid a hundred thousand, and we paid zero. Mm-hmm. So now, what kind of outcomes are you talking about? Because I I missed that middle word. Uh, uh, most benevolent outcomes. Oh, benevolent. That's what I thought it was. Okay. So, so. Right. And and if someone has trouble saying benevolent, because some people you know English is maybe a second language or something, you can say MBO and you're. Your guardian angel knows what it is. Now, also, if you want to believe that it goes to Archangel Michael or Jesus or Allah or Muhammad or, or a Hindu de- deity, it does not matter because it works, and it works perfectly. Yeah. It's so, just that so, I've been told it goes to your guardian angel. Uh-huh. Now, do you have to be specific? Now, but now what you're saying is, <clears throat> like the law of attraction, you mm-hmm. you um, have to be specific about this, right? I mean, it, right. it is the benevolent outcome of this particular situation. Yes. Now, but the difference is you're, uh, you're counting on your guardian angel to be able to look around the corner and see what's ahead to know whether what you're requesting. As an example, let's uh, say I request the most benevolent outcome to get this job. Okay. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. that job is not very good for you. There's another one coming along. Okay. And so you don't get the job. Uh, But six months later, wham, you get the perfect job for you. And so, and and, and it happens when you're looking for a house. Uh, my my wife and I decided to downsize. Our kids were grown. We we're living in the most expensive uh, section of Dallas, and we didn't we didn't want to have to pay all these taxes and and everything. And and so we wanted to downsize uh, from a very large house. And so uh, uh, my wife started looking for for a house in the Plano area, and mm-hmm. she would take me on these. Uh, these searches where we would go visit these houses, and each time I'd say, "Okay, I request most benevolent come to buy this house." We uh, and we finally even made an offer on a house, and somebody paid the full amount. So uh, I, I finally said, "Okay, I request most benevolent come for the perfect house for us," and she found it the next day. You know, it, it, it's funny because you're talking about uh, going to house sales and open houses. And Nancy and I uh, used to play this game when we lived in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And the game was that every Sunday in Los Angeles, well, if you're not otherwise occupied by working for a living, but um, every Sunday in Los Angeles, there is the open house guide. And you get that. There's the Los Angeles Times, there are the, some of the local papers, but there's the big open house guide. And the real estate companies, and this, uh, this was right this was really at the dawn of the internet multiple listing services, and this ran right through the 90s. And it's right, it's the, it's the 1990s. And you would see these beautiful houses in these booklets, and an agent would tell you, oh, the house is open from 11 to 2, and here is the Thomas Guide coordinates. And, and, so, and so we began going to these open houses. And, and in some cases, opening house, going to open houses were like going to museums because you, cause in some cases there would be these fabulous houses from historic people like um, up in the, up just, it's called the Whitley area. Mm-hmm. The, 
Whitley section of, of, of right above Hollywood, right. Um, Whitley Heights. And you would see these old movie star houses from the 1920s and the 1930s. You'd see William Powell's house and, and like all these great movie star houses. And, and it just goes right across the board, right all the way from, all the way from, let's say, the folks in know Los Angeles from the, uh, the Coanga Pass all the way out to the Pacific Palisades. And you, you would see these beautiful houses. And finally, the, uh, the game that Nancy began playing was, I want a house to do this to show me a potential future of how to live. And sure enough, you would find the exact house. A lot of times you couldn't afford it. Right. But you would find the exact house that showed you the future, not just of where you wanted to live, but how you wanted to live, because you would look at the lives of the people who live there. Mm-hmm. And the question would be, can I step into that life in this house? And you'd see all the, this entire panoply of different lives play out ahead of you. And at a certain point, we began choosing what life we'd want, and sure enough, that's the house we would find. Mm-hmm. So in, in that respect, it, it, it does work. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously you don't have to say, I request a most benevolent come, but it's, it becomes so easy when you make that a habit uh, because there'll be times when there, there might be danger. I mean, as an example, one of one lady wrote to me from the middle of Kansas uh, farm, and she they hadn't lived there very long, and there was a tornado bearing down on her. And so she grabbed her two kids, ran for the basement, and said, you know, she requested a benevolent outcome to, um, uh, you know, uh, for their safety. And the tornado lifted up and went right over their house. So – if you you know you got to be requesting these things all the time uh there was another lady that that was walking down a street in in uh, a suburb of LA I believe it was and and so a, a couple of men in a truck started following her and so she requested a benevolent outcome for her safety and suddenly a group of people came out of the house and and the van drove away and she said you know I know those people saved me well now mm-hmm. how do you how do you how do you get from the just making that request to actually talking to your guardian angel? I mean well, the way you're describing it is only one way, so there's obviously a two way dialogue here well, I mean obviously the first time is when I talk to reveals the mysteries after mm-hmm. that, I just slowly but surely um, uh, would would uh, following uh, Dick Suffin's uh, lead as far as his CDs and all. Uh, he's got a CD that I, I highly recommend. It's called Spirit Guides. And mm-hmm. that will take you down, and you can ask questions of your own guardian angel. And, and uh, I, uh, of course, I got to the point where I could put myself into uh, this meditative state very fast, you know, within five minutes. And, and then I've got this whole page of questions that people send to me from all over the world. And, and so I just start asking questions. First, I ask questions of Gaia, uh, the soul of the earth, about, uh, about things uh, regarding the earth. And then 
I switch over to Theo, and then I switch over to Antura, uh, the uh, my ET buddy, who's also who's also a uh, a member of my soul cluster. Now, h- how do you differentiate between ETs and angels? Well, but ETs are, for the most part, something uh, you know. They're they could be uh, they could look like us, or they could they could be a a bird ET. Um, you know, uh, now as an example, the planet that I came from. If you recall the um, the Hellboy movies. There was a character in the Hellboy movies called Abe Sapien. And if anyone's listening tonight, they can Google images of Abe Sapien. I know the actor who played Abe Sapien. He's a good friend of mine, Doug Jones. I'll be darned, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, He's a buddy of mine. Good. And, and so... Um, in, in, in what movie? In Hellboy. Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2. In Hellboy, okay. Yeah, we were oh, just going to watch yeah. that this weekend and didn't. Is it worth excellent it? Films. Oh, excellent movies, both of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're a lot of fun. You know, it's sci-fi. But Abe mm-hmm. Sapien uh, looks a, a little bit like, or or whether, or you want to go the reverse. But Antura, my buddy on on this water planet, um, is an amphibian. His city lies a mile below the uh, the ocean, top of the ocean, and he has four. Four web fingers, one offset so it acts like a thumb, and he has four uh, webbed uh, feet. And his, where um, Abe Sapien had sort of stripes, if you recall from the movie, um, Antura has has a blue skin with touches of red and yellow. And well, um, so, be- okay. uh, I've been off the, the call for a little bit because I, I got disconnected, so I didn't hear the last hunk of time hunk of show have we established that you have physically with your own eyes or or hands have you seen or touched any of these creatures no only okay only telepathically um and and you know have you worried that it's not just an illusion or um you know a brain problem (laughs) <laughs> well, if it was, I, I need to be in it more because because I could never come up with the stuff that I've learned through uh, through asking these questions. I mean, never. Um, I'm just not that smart. And did you guys uh, cover how to originate this kind of contact in the very first place if you're a total newbie? Well, I, I mentioned a minute ago about using uh, Dick Suffin's Spirit Guides oh, okay. CD or, or MP3, is it? Um, and he takes you down, and you can ask questions. When you ah. he stops saying anything, he says, okay, you can ask a question of your own spirit guide. He calls them spirit guides. I call it guardian angels. It's, it's just a matter of words. And have folks... On the on the on the Christian far right, let's say, who are mm-hmm. very worried about angels and demons, have they ever said to you, "Oh, beware, beware"? Well, I, I when I my first book came out, uh, I was just starting to to promote the book, and I went to a Mormon bookstore in Dallas, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I showed the book to the guy, and he thumbed through it and everything. And he said, "Oh, well, I, I, we can't, we can't sell this. We can only pray to Jesus." Right. So, okay. And now, now I would, I have the ability yeah. to say, "Hey, look, you can, you can say." Whoever this uh, goes to, it doesn't matter because it works, and, and it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's something you can't say about the law of attraction or any other modality. This works perfectly. And I've been voted best self-help author for the last three years by the Health and Happiness magazine. And, and when you say it works, what you're saying is if you pr- uh, propose a problem and you lay it on the table and say, I'm asking for help that you will, in fact, get help, basically. Well, that's when you're requesting the vanilla outcomes, which you kind of missed when you got oh. disconnected. Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. that, that, that's okay. Uh, that's when you say, I request the most vanilla outcome uh, for this legal problem where I've been sued for a million dollars. Thank you. And things happened that, that it got me out of it anyway. Well, and, well, and, and uh, have you ever heard of the theory that you should – Always surround yourself with white light and kind of put yourself in service to the good, the mm-hmm. God, the the you know the good guys, whatever you want to call it, and sort of make it really clear that any journey that you're attempting to go on, you, you're approaching it with the idea of I want to be on the good side of the tapestry. I guess oh, the bright side. When I when I go down in my meditation, I always surround myself with a bubble of white light. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and then I even on my case since I feel I really need to get these answers correctly and everything uh, without any interference, I imagine a, a, a bubble of gold light on the outside mm-hmm. of the white light as an extra added layer of protection. Mm-hmm. Now that and do you and and do you write things down or do you draw? No, I type. Oh, okay. So, I, so you t- oh wow you type wow yeah I'm I'm a touch typist and wow. so I sit at my computer I put myself into this altered state which is an alpha state now keep in mind we're not talking about going deep 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 we're mm-hmm. talking about the state you're in when you're just waking up from a dream and that's why I've mentioned earlier that recording your dreams is really great it's great practice for knowing that place where you have to be in order to not only remember a dream, but also be able to communicate. Uh, well, let, let me ask a contemporary question about dreams that uh, you'll start hearing on all the talk shows, but you're hearing it here first. Uh, we have a, a, a um, one of our co-hosts here on the line is Chris Brown, who lives in Oregon, one of the legal marijuana states. Mm-hmm. Now, it has been said that when you smoke marijuana or use marijuana on a regular basis, and once it's legal, most people will find some way to fold it into their lives because it's a great boon for many things, but particularly old age. But it does seem to suck away your dreams. Now, mm. Danny, uh, not Danny, um, uh, Chris, yeah. would you say that that is, in fact, has been your experience that you don't have dreams anymore? I would say so, yes. And then the days when you don't have and you're trying to kind of go cold turkey there, then dreams come back in big time sweats. For I've those heard that too. Know. I've heard that too. And Angel, have, do you have experience with that if you're here? Uh, no, I can't really say I do. No dreams versus dreams. Like, um, 
I've heard that from so, so, so many people. That that's, if you That's sad. <laughs> yeah, so that Sorry. would be in fact um and as I said, once it's legal, the you know, how to use it properly will become a thing. And if you care about your dreams, you mm. may decide, you know, it's not worth it to lose your dreams. Yeah, because I mean you still rapidly, have them. Well, you still have them, but you don't remember them at all. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't want to remember them when you have nightmares. So, well, your your dreams are are a connection to your higher self, your soul, and and you get messages from there. And so, I'm always being given symbolic dreams. I always have reoccurring dreams, as if anything. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been my thing. Like I can't and, and remember I, locker locker combo, or I'm like a day late to to, to sign up for football, and then right. I can't and I can't play football. That one like haunts me. Right, yes. right, right. And Bill has one. Uh, you haven't prepared for class as the teacher, or yes. he's completely forgotten about. You know, he's not, um But Tom, right. do you have? Right. I've forgotten. Learning? You know, I have dreams where I've forgotten something. I'm supposed to be leaving, and oh my goodness, I where is that? You know, and yeah, and, and exactly. so there. There are certain dreams you have, but I've been told that as far as dreams go, we actually are the big problem solvers of the whole universe. We are guided by these whole souls we call angels to go anywhere in the universe to help people solve problems. Why would that be? Why would we be able to do that? Because we solve more problems on earth in one day than some people solve in a month or a year. I mean, we are the big problem solvers. And so most of the time we meet these other beings in their dream state. And and also our dreams are set so that it won't be so scary. In other words, if we saw what the people or, or what these beings actually look like, we might be scared to death. So, so the dreams are changed to make it look like an earthly dream. But in actuality, we're, we're wow. helping someone solve a problem, maybe clear across the universe. Well, what is your morning ritual like in order to capture the dreams? Um, I have a, um, I, I, I have, I, I made these um, at a print shop. Okay, mm-hmm. um, it's a lined notebook with a, a ring, and up at the top it says, it says the day and it says place, mm-hmm. and so each. Each night before I go to bed, I write the next day's date and where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if I have to get up in the middle of the night in order to write down a dream, I have a little pen light. And then I also have um, a, a dream dictionary that I've found is very good because it's channeled information. And mm-hmm. it's it's called the Dream Dictionary by, oh gosh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Tom Corbett and Lady Stern Robinson. And oh I've, yes, I remember seeing that book. Yes. Yeah, and, and I just kind of like that because you have dreams that are contrary, where it's uh, where the dream means absolutely opposite of what's really going to happen. And I like to con- you know get an idea of that. So I right. I, and I, how much would you say you write? What would be the two extremes? Have you ever written just one word and or written almost like nothing? How, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, extremes go from absolutely nothing mm-hmm. to the most dreams I've written in one night would be nine. Wow. And and each time, are you writing a paragraph? Is it intelligible to yourself in the yeah. morning? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I've been doing this since 79. So, I mean, I can, wow. I can still read my writing. <laughs> Maybe some people might not be able to, but I can. And are you keeping all of these? Oh, yeah. I have, I have a whole box full of these that nice, dates nice. all the way back. Wow. Uh, I don't know if anybody will want them someday. I mean, after all, our kids are not even being taught um, cursive writing. Well, that's the next question I was going to ask you. Have you trained your wife, your children in in any of these techniques? Uh, I let everybody go on their path, okay? And right. And uh, my wife has some abilities that she doesn't like me discussing, so I won't. And... Uh, and, and then typically my kids are a little bit younger souls. And so um, uh, my, uh, you know, I let them go and, and they request benevolent outcomes and, you know, uh, anything else they believe that's up to them. Mm-hmm. And that's the and Thus you keep peace in the family. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I, I've been told that my kids are only, you know, in the 300 level of lives. So they've got a long way to go. And well, now, do you, do human beings have the ability to perceive others' lives in, in, in this state? So, for example, if you wanted to know what future lives your children had, uh-huh. were you able to do that? Well, I mean, as an example, I know what my my wife's next life is going to be, um, uh, and this ties in to the gentle way. So I have to kind of back up a little bit, but don't let me forget to, to talk about okay, my, my my wife's uh, next life. Um, I uh, one day I decided to ask because I, I knew that the gentle way dated back. Um, over 300, 350 years, because I was reintroducing this, you know, from being an Indian shaman myself. All right. So I wondered how much farther back does the gentle way go? At 1,000 years or what? And so one day I asked uh, Theo, I said, Theo, you know, how far back does the gentle way go? And he said, ah, time. And when he says that, I always know I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get something really interesting. He mm-hmm. says, ah, Tom, he says, this dates all the way back to a life you had on Atlantis when you were inspired to create the gentle way. And this was about 200 years before, uh, before uh, Atlantis sank out of sight. And uh, you had a million people that were requesting benevolent outcomes. And... But things were getting so bad, warring and everything between the law of one and and the uh, and the Aryans that you migrated from from Poseidon, as it turned out to be. I didn't know that when I first started talking. Um, from Poseidon, uh, Poseidia, the island of Poseidia, uh, we migrated with twenty five thousand people to Egypt, and. There was this e- Egyptian princess, and they were a little worried because the Atlanteans had conquered the whole Mediterranean at one time. And they were concerned, here's 25,000 uh, 
Atlanteans coming in. Refugees, basically. Refu- yes. And, uh, the, and if you recall the Edgar Casey book, he was known as Rata or something like that. And he had been banished to a, another, um, uh, a, another part of the kingdom. And he was brought back to deal with the Atlanteans, uh, according to what Edgar Casey received. Well, uh, those Atlanteans were us. And and I had to assure him and everybody that we were gentle people and we just wanted to get away from the warring and strife uh, of Atlantis. And that Egyptian uh, princess uh, is my wife today. Now, her next life, <clears throat> excuse me, she's going to go back to that ancient time 12,300 or so years ago. Um, that's correct, uh, somewhere around, or, or maybe that's 12,700 years ago. And she's going to be a man in that life, and she's going to be a great leader. And I'm going to be her assistant, but it's one of my past lives. I've already had that life, wow. but, it's her, but it's her next life. Well, does she, does she believe you when you tell her this? Or does she yeah. kind of laugh a little bit? Oh, she knows me long enough. I mean, we've been married 45 years. So. Nice, nice. Excellent. Yeah. Well, but the presupposition of all this, which is interesting, is that everything is already laid out, is that mm-hmm. past, present, and future have a kind of a unity to them at least in terms of the people who can move back and forth along that spectrum, correct? I, I suppose, you know, because... But at, it, at the same time, are the other universes that were, were near, the other two, would they be just like us, or no. would they be entirely different? So no. that we could maybe slip in between as well as slip back and forth in time. Well, Antura, my, my brother on the other planet... Um, uh, his his sole contract is uh, is as a first contact person. Okay, they go to other planets and that are just developing, and that maybe they they could be two thousand or ten thousand years away from actually going to the stars themselves, and they introduce themselves. And typically, they will use a holographic looking bodies so that they look just like the people except they'll be an ancient looking version so a, a very uh you know sort of like a religious leader or something and and so they introduce themselves so um Antura told me two stories one that they actually went to a desert planet and they contacted these sloths mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> And they've still got, you know, several thousand years ahead of them before they go to the stars, but they introduced themselves and, and they uh, had the appearance of an old sloth. Now, well, you know that we're just, just weirdly, uh, you know, we talked about the internet today earlier, and you know that on the internet nowadays, there's a visual subtext that just flows all through the internet so that you'll see an image out of the corner of a page and you're and it's it's the advertiser's dream that you recognize it but when you say sloths or slow you know the animal yes. they are all over the internet as memes these days 
way mm-hmm. more than they were in our history books or in our in our comics. They yeah. are all over the internet. So when you talk about that, could it be that something pushes itself into our consciousness this way? That well, what you're describing is in fact yeah. we're being sort of we're learning the Akashic version of it, if you will, by something well, like that. And, and keep in mind, they have to explain things to us in terms that we can understand. Okay, so maybe Amen. that sloth kind of looks different, but it's as close to what what is uh, something on Earth as he can describe it for me. Okay, mm-hmm. so right. Uh, yeah, so but what I'm, what I'm saying is just the, it, it, you might tell him next time you talk to him that you'll see all over the internet sloths as animals, sometimes uh, animated, sometimes with captions and things, are themselves becoming um, a new character in our in our dialogue. Uh, people dress up as them, and you know they 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 represent the perfect life. Right. In which you live in a hammock, you know, you eat slowly, everything comes to you in due time. They're considered, right. in our rat race kind of world, heroic almost. Just throwing the name And sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. Ah, for that. <laughs> there you go. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's the yeah. kill one, because they're so cute. Yes. So the other, the other yeah. t- trip that he mentioned that he took was they... Now, you have to understand, Earth has 60 portals, okay? And they use, and one of these portals actually goes to this other universe. And uh-huh. so, they, so they took a trip to this other uh, universe. And he said, Tom, he said, because, you know, the human race has not been to the stars yet, you have no experience as to be able to compare um to compare planets or stars or whatever. But he Mm -hmm. said, I can tell you that that universe is absolutely completely different than ours. Hmm. Whatever that means. Hmm. Well, you always think about 2001, the end of 2001, when the filmmakers tried to come up with weird, what could be so out of the ordinary. And they're trying to show it to you through visuals. And, you know, now as the years have passed, some of their techniques are nothing more than pouring oil into water and filming it, you know, yeah. you know, lighting it on fire and stuff. But the, but it was meant to, and I always think to myself, um, you know, uh, the filmmakers tried to show you what another universe looked like, what a whole another planet, planetary scheme would look like. So it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, what you're saying does stretch stretch the mind a bit. And as far as other characters, now, Antura has told me that in somewhere around 2017, there he's going to be coming to Earth in one of these giant motherships. And I ask a ton of questions about, you know, how the motherships are, everything from their construction to the interiors and, and on and on and on. And, and this relates to the readers of your first book, right? Uh, this this relates to first contact conversations first contact, with, a, exactly. uh, right. with an ET. That's right. the fourth book. Fifth book okay. is is Atlantis and Lemuria, uh, the Lost Continents revealed. Oh, okay. I, I've got it. I thought it was your first book. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. and uh, and so the um, in 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 the crew of 900, he said there's there are going to be bird beings. Now these are all intelligent species. Okay, bird beings. Insect beings, 
of course, some other humanoid-looking characters. Of course, he's an amphibian. There's going to be a couple of reptilians, and he said they kind of keep to himself. And, and of course, that's another story because the reptilians, there really was a real Star Wars a million years ago, Earth time, and it was caused by the reptilians. And, um, uh, and so... Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, uh, let's see, whatever I left off, uh, all, all sorts of, uh, he said there's some beings that sort of float uh, along the floor without any means of propulsion. And he said, oh, there's plant beings, too. And, and their limbs are like vines. And, and they're all going to be on the ship. Hmm. Why? Well, Sounds like because- Noah's Ark. <laughs> because they're they're coming to uh, do more studies uh, on Earth, and and I'm told that that my family and I are supposed to to be uh, we're supposed to take cameras and everything with us, and we're going to do the first documentary ever shot on board a mothership. Well, when they come, and you're saying this is happening next year. Well, With no I negotiations, have... right? With no, <laughs> no uh, credit discussions and who gets what and how much. Sc- no negotiations is the miracle part. You know, a production underway with no negotiations. Just a joke. Uh, no, but okay. the thi- no, but the thing <laughs> is that if it's going to be next year, uh-huh. what is the sense of panic on planet Earth at that point? I mean, it's next year. Okay. Well, okay. First of all, the Russians already were supposed to have disclosed all of their meetings with with ETs. They're meeting with ETs. I've been told once to twice a month, and, and as all the major powers, because uh, because all these major powers uh, collected these these. Uh, spacecraft that were crashing back in the 40s and 50s because our radars interfered with their propulsion systems and they crashed killing killing all these beings okay right and so we've been back engineering these spacecraft uh, the united states has at least 10 of them all right but so does russia china and so on and and but the russians are going to supposedly disclose this first, then the first visit publicly will be at the Russian new spaceport. And it'll be done by Pleiadians that look exactly like us, except for their ears. And they're going to be sort of very slight looking. They're going to be, you know, like five feet tall. They don't look uh, dangerous at all. And I said, and what well, kind I- of ears do they have? Like Spock ears? A little bit like Spock ears, yes. Right. Low pointed, okay. And, um, sure. and and why not? I mean, somebody had the yeah. download in that brain from somewhere. I you agree. Know. I, I do. Okay. You know, writers do that. And, and by the way, I've been told that most science fiction writers have had a life in the future first, and then they they come back and have a life now, and they say, and they write about it, and they say, this is. You know, this is what I imagine, and let's do it. Well, the act of writing, I mean, uh, anytime you sit sit down to write fiction, not not nonfiction, but fiction, you actually have to channel something because you haven't lived every life, you know, that you could possibly write about. But the minute you hone in and choose to write about a certain kind of culture, life, 
whatever, you're mm-hmm. channeling basically. And I've had the difficult experience of, of making either entering the universe that I made up and that became my own future. Um, and that's basically what's happened every time. Um, so that that's kind of when you say you, you get into an alpha state and you sit in front of a keyboard, mm-hmm. um, have you ever thought of writing fiction? Or writing the journals of some of these characters, some of these people whose stories might need to be told, well, like Antoro. Okay, uh, yes, but I've already I've been told by the people that have read these books that they could be made into movies. That there's so much information there that can be ad- adapted to a fictional book. That's not my sole contract. This time around, my ah. sole contract is to be the catalyst to get people, uh, you know, moving and and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so that's that's not my job. I, I ask about. I, I understand. I, uh, do I have Do I have writer guides? And I and I was told yes, I have two writer guides. And I said, oh, are they were they famous writers or something? <laughs> no, these were just very very good wordsmiths because. You're not to write fiction in this life. You are to wow. to uh, uh, write, you know these these books that that will be very readable for people. Mm-hmm. And and believe me, it's bedeviled Whitley Strieber ever since uh, he wrote his when he wrote Communion and tried to explain to people this isn't really fiction. His fiction prior career has always haunted him. And mm-hmm. he's not abandoned fiction at all, so yeah. it does make you uh, maybe maybe greater minds have realized that the true messenger can't write fiction because maybe. it's sort of how the, our readers of UFO magazine always felt they did not want fiction ever in, uh, to be between the covers of the magazine. We tried, um, you know, because lots of our readers write fiction. Uh, yes. And read it, but they don't want it in that magazine because they want the truth. Um, even if it's, even if the person telling the the truth sounds crazy, mm-hmm. um, that person may believe it, and then that person may turn out to be right. Right. So, you, would you like would you like to hear the reasons why people were abducted? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, the Zetas came came to this. Timeline, uh, probably several timelines, because there's there's twelve parallel lives going on at the same time. We're on timeline number six, and and so uh, they had been. They had a great problem. They uh, the way they reproduced was to clone, but when they were cloning, the bodies were no longer being ensouled, and so they came to Earth to try and match up their DNA with some of our DNA uh, in order to, uh, to make a hybrid. Now, this went on for about 25 years until the Federation of Planets was able to do an addendum to stop this. But you have to understand, for the Federation, there were 200 planets that they had to get together, and in universal time, it was only 2.5 years. But for us, it was 25 years. Uh, because Earth time has been speeded up for us to learn all these things faster than than so we can get to the and stars. And so who's faster. doing the speeding? Is the speeding done because of a fiat from this federation? No, our souls uh, set up 
all these 12 timelines and and set up this space-time continuum. There's not another space-time continuum in the whole universe except for ours. So, and that's for the Earth experiment. Okay, so so they came and they started abducting people. They abducted a total of about 25,000 people. The women, they would actually keep on the, the spacecraft for nine months until they would have the hybrid babies. Mm-hmm. And, and then they would take them back, and because they could work in the space-time continuum, they'd put them back in their beds or wherever they were within an hour or so of when they were picked up. The ladies would go to their doctors, and I'm sure you've you read this mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere, and the doctors would say, well, you've had a baby recently. And, and they'd say, no, I haven't. Well, uh, as it went along, uh, they were able to, um, to shorten this down to four months, that, and they'd be able mm-hmm. to take the fetuses at that time. And but they still lived in another time, in another time circle than we do. It's still yeah. different, even though, wow. Yeah, on on board the ship. Yes, mm-hmm. they. Uh, and and so, is there any such thing as immortality any place in the in any known universe? Yeah, there. I th- I think there are beings that live forever, even in our universe, but. They're really different. Well, wouldn't that be us if all this is true? In other words, because we hop timelines, we have different lives, we always have something going on. Wouldn't that be us? After all, we would be the immortals. We just well, don't know it. Our souls are immortal, but you know that's you know. But we are our different. souls, right? We we are we are our souls. We, we go we with are, it, right? We go with our okay. souls, right? We're the physical manifestation of our soul. Right, and that's what I mean by we. I'm not talking about the carcass. I'm talking about the animation within the carcass. Yeah, yeah. And you, you have to understand that for this Earth experiment, um, as an example, Antura is a member of my soul group or cluster. It's called Soul was reveals the mysteries. That's what I found out. Okay, there are eight soul fragments of our soul having lives on Earth. Antura has had 800 lives on Earth, but he's back on this water planet as a first contact person. And and so it's not like, and each of us have a different, a different interest. Mine is religions of the world. Uh, his uh, interest is explorer. So as an example, he was um, Marco Polo's uncle, that did the Silk Road before Marco Polo came and wrote about. Right. And now, and, but our souls, oh, uh, uh, one more point, our souls yeah. are having maybe 500,000 or a million other lives going on at the same time all across the universe for their learning. And how is all of that amalgamated? I mean, it, okay, Here's the big question. Is there an end point to all of this, and what do the souls have at the end point? Okay, that's a great question. The, the end game, the goal of our souls is to raise their vibrational levels by this fast track, by taking part in the Earth experiment, to the point where someday in the future, all of our souls are going to merge together and become a creator. 
that has never been done in any other universe of the billions of other creators. We're, we're going to meld together to be a creator, and we're going to take over running this universe and allow the creator of this universe to go to a higher level. And it doesn't even know what that higher level is. Well, wow, it sounds very Trumpian. It, it, you know? it also, you know, it it very it also sounds very Parthenonish. I mean, just in terms of you've got a number of deities who are the creators of of of, of universes in other dimensions. Do they communicate with each other? Yes, from what I understand, they. And what is they? And what is their origin? Ah, uh, it's called the creator of creators. There's this being that create has created all these billions of creators. And what is? But that's the one that we call God. I mean, don't no. we short circuit right there because that's the one. Our our brains are big enough to imagine the creator of creators. That's who we call God. Well, but but the creator of our universe is who we actually call God. Yeah, but not really. Not if we knew. Not if we knew more. Well, not if we knew, but nobody knows yeah. that virtually. Yeah, I mean, it's, but you kind of uh, don't need to either because when you when you put your head down and you're just plowing the land, God is basically your landlord, and and you know you don't really need to go that much higher. You just have to appease, you know, your local deity. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm just saying in a sad kind of way. Have there ever been disputes among the creators? Oh, I have no idea. I, I was told at one point that if this Earth experiment had failed, um, our uh, our creator had agreed with the Council of Creators, whatever that is, that he would wipe everything and and fix it. I don't know what exactly that means, but... Tom, well, that was the, the flood. Yeah. Go ahead. Question. Now, <laughs> wouldn't uh, human beings be considered creators also? And the way we create technology and computers and life when we give birth to children, uh, I mean, are we then also gods in a sense? Mm, well, we're soul fragments, so I've, you can you can look at us. But our but our lives are creative. I mean, I mean mostly yeah. everybody I know is creative in some way or another. Right, we think of ourselves. If I'm getting the understanding here, is we are created by creator gods that create, and there's billions of them. But then there's one overlord god that created those gods, which I guess that would be the god with the big G. Well, but it's not an overlord. I mean, from my understanding, the creator of creators uh, created these billions of creators in love, okay, and and released them. To do what what they wanted to do, not and, and not where to have does any evil fit it? Where does evil come into the picture? Does it? That's or or yeah, just, is there evil? Where is there hum- evil? That's human. That's humans are evil. Yeah, but yeah. but I do understand there are some types of of negative beings, and Theo has grumbled about them. You know that uh, at times. So I. You know, I just kind of stay away from from that. Yeah, because that's you know my wife. She she's religious, and that's what she believes. She believes that that they're all evil. And well, it's, and, it it sounds you know. like from a from a scientific point of view, it sounds like 
the human race, because it has conflict and chaos, is basically a melting pot, a bubbling cauldron. It's a very active life producing situation when you have the 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 punching of good and evil and the the spinning of the you know that zen black and white uh, okay but, but when we have to keep in mind it's like a all motor. of our all of our lives have to balance by the time we're finished with our earth lives it's like being being in, in a theater troupe in one play you're the good guy in the next play you're the bad guy mm-hmm Okay, so, and you do this out of love to help the people in these other soul clusters grow. And that suggests the growth of good and, and so forth. But what creates more evil, therefore, since we're being trained to become a better, better, you know, better version of ourselves, what, what, why is evil also growing, would you say, or is it? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I've been told, as an example, we will never um, destroy ourselves again. Not like not like we did with Atlantis, and not like we did with Lemuria. Both mm-hmm. destroy themselves. The Atlanteans uh, destroyed themselves in a uh, like a Pearl Harbor type war, where the Aryans. Uh, the Aryan islands were located. If you were to draw a line straight out from Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's about where where the Aryan Islands were located, and then east if you draw of Washington east of Washington into the DC. ocean, into yes. the ocean, yeah, yeah because Atlantis took up most of the Atlantic, at and, one time. and the Devil's Triangle is that near where Atlantis was? Okay, Atlantis. If you were to draw a line from the southern coast of Newfoundland straight across, it's like forty-seven degrees. I believe that's 47. Uh, that's the boundary of how far north Atlantis. Okay, Atlantis was in the shape of a parallelogram. It came within 30 miles of the African coast, which at that time was called the Land of Oz. All right? Uh-huh. And then it started turning back, and it went back towards North America at about the 30-degree latitude mark. And then, uh, and uh, on the other side, it ran parallel to North America, about 100 miles off the coast, with a tailing tail thinner than uh, Florida is today, that uh, in, that in, uh, not encroached, in, uh, encapsuled whatever, uh, what is now the Bahama Islands. The Bahama Islands was part of the Atlantean continent. Uh, therefore, that's why you have the Bimini Road that people found, okay? So the first destruction of Atlantis uh, happened because uh, it sat right on top of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, and the uh, there was a line of volcanoes that split the continent, and all of those blew up at one time, and the, uh, the continent of Atlantis sank a little over 30,000 years ago, leaving only... Posadia, the Aryan Islands, and Canaries, uh, Azores, you know, some other, some other islands like that, okay? And mm-hmm. the, all the seas rose 160 feet, uh, wiping out every single uh, town and city that was, on, uh, that was on the seas 
all over the world. That was the first destruction. Then the second destruction came along, and and that was when the Aryan Islands, uh, they were using crystal uh, power, and they had these these laser ray guns, and they came up like a Pearl Harbor attack with 375 aircraft, and they started melting the whole island of Poseidia, which was the size of Cuba, and destroying it. And a million and a half people died the very first day, but then Poseidia started retaliating, and so all the islands sank, and the seas rose again 41 feet. And that was when the story of Noah actually happened. Uh, was uh, He actually had that boat, and he was on a low-lying part of, I think, maybe Turkey or something. And, and his boat was lifted up and eventually deposited on the lower slopes of Mount Area. But did, why did the United Federation of Planets stand by each time that we came so close to self-annihilation? Because uh, the Earth experiment came along, I mean, pardon me, the Earth directive came along uh, in its original form because the ETs were messing up and were trying to help us, and, all, and everybody was trying to get use their power to subjugate the other people of the world. And finally, they could see that this was going in the direction that they were going to destroy themselves. So they completely withdrew and said they didn't tell them this. They, they wouldn't tell them why they were withdrawing because this happened several hundred years before they actually destroyed themselves. But they withdrew and, and, uh, and said, uh, we'll, we'll let them sink or swim on their own. And, of course, they sank with Poseidon and all. Uh, then Lemuria uh, did the same thing. They, they had a horrific war. Uh, Lemuria was located almost adjacent to Japan, and it extended over within 100 miles of, of uh, Hawaii. All the Lemurians used to vacation in Hawaii, which is why it has such a Lemurian feel to the islands because they vacationed there for thousands of years. And, and so there were five countries on Lemuria, and, and I, uh, I was told that my worst life on earth, that I considered my worst life on earth, I was a religious leader uh, uh, in one of the five countries on Lemuria, and I helped encourage the leaders of, of my country to drop two hydrogen-type bombs on two of the other countries, thinking that they didn't have the ability to uh, respond, but they did, and that sank the whole continent. When well, are, they are you are you currently in touch with um, angels? Whenever you want to be, no, I, I say no, and I say yes at the same time because I'll get messages, and I'm getting a little bit better at it. Now, keep in mind, I've only been doing this since 2005, so we're, all, so we're only talking about a little, you know, ten and a half years. Um, and the more that you do this, the better you get. It's like learning to play chess or, or, or a foreign language or something. Right, or remote viewing, basically, is another thing you yeah. can practice and get better yeah. at. Yeah. Exactly. Practice, practice, practice. Every time I'd ask him, well, am I getting better on my reception? Practice, practice, practice. I 
I ask that so many times, and they tell me that so many times I finally stopped asking. Well, do you always ask questions, or do they sometimes volunteer things that you never would dream of asking? They said, Tom, uh, what we do with you is not like anybody else. Uh, You can ask any question that you want, and we will answer you unless it involves someone's sole contract. But Mm -hmm. Uh, but you have to ask specific questions. So even when I started talking to Antura, I, I thought he'd look just like us. And when I started asking questions, well, you know, what's the color of your skin? What are your eyes like? You know, suddenly I said, boy, you don't look anything like us. <laughs> You're well, really you know, different. Yeah. Um, you know, just a thought that occurs. I, I, it, this is a crass materialistic thought. But as you talk, do you realize that you could rent your services? Your uh, you could become a consulting, a consultant to writers and to game developers mm-hmm. who need advice on how creatures might look or how they might interact. Or this, do you realize that you could charge billions an hour or as much as a writer could pay? I'm just saying you could put a shingle out if you, you know, had nothing better to do. Um, because as you talk about this, I'm thinking you're just, you're drawing these incredible science fiction scenarios, basically. Sure. And, and uh, but, but and wait a, else, a year and a half or two years. And, and when the documentary, uh, hits the theaters, uh, you're going to see them live. So there's no restriction then on other people, um, being fictional or creative with your, with your material, right? Right. Just I, you I've can't been, write the fiction. I've been told yeah. that that people will will uh, uh, look at my books and and write books off uh, of the ideas from my books, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I don't care. Well, but have you thought to ask him about are we in a particularly weird place as we contemplate the hatred that is beginning to bubble up in our country um, that it, that wasn't. It's not really there, but anybody can whip up a crowd, and crowds are, crowds are being whipped up. And it's not something I ever thought I'd see in my lifetime after reading about it and th- you know, seeing movies about World War II and stuff. So have you thought to ask anybody for some help for us, the human Americans going through this little situation? Oh, we're going to get through it. Oh. I've been told, you know, we'll... Oh, there you go. You know, we're going to get through it, so... Um, okay. I, I, I encourage everybody. I have a free newsletter every week that's 12 pages long, typically 11, 12, sometimes 14, a couple of weeks ago. And um, uh, it's free. Uh, everyone can subscribe. Just email me at Tom T. Moore 6, the number 6 at AOL.com, and I'll put you on the list. Hopefully, we're, we're adding a new newsmailer program within the next week or so mm. and hopefully you'll be able to sign up on the website but uh, uh yeah i was just going to ask you because the website is linked and um maybe you could type that into the skype window where we're speaking and i can make sure i put it up on the website or repeat it where can people can get your newsletter by typing what is your email again it's tom t more m-o-o-r-e the number six six okay because we're on the sixth timeline at ah. aol.com gotcha and even aol.com who would have thought okay mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah one of the last ones there yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah well hey i was one of the first ones so what can i say yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
We, and uh, that, so now, um, ne- uh, and, and, and just real quick, next week, our guest is going to be another Tom, and this time, our good friend Chris has set this one up, and this is Tom Jensen. Yep. Okay, another Tom. Yep. yep. So, let's we'll we'll just get that in there. Good. That's going to be a good. And now, yeah. we are... <clears throat> We are we are well, we have a hard out because the the um, Art Bell um, Heather Wade's Midnight in the Desert is starting in just a couple of minutes. And yeah, so it has nothing we, to do with us, though, Bill. Nothing to do with us, right? We're not on live anymore. On that, I keep thinking That's we're true. on live on that. Network. Nothing to do with us anymore, Bill. It, uh, so, it doesn't matter. So we got a soft out. No, keep listening to PSN Radio. In other words, That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we don't. So we don't have to. I mean, so we we can we can get all of our well, you're, last you're questions that in and stuff. Oh, we are working that tonight. Show, right? I'm tonight. tonight. I'm back up. So I'm I'm cool. Amy is doing it for to me. So for in us other tonight. words, you could do your outro like you normally plan. No hard out. You could do whatever you'd like. Go for it. That's okay, right. Well, that's what that's we're going to exactly do. Right, and yeah. Amy because Amy is kindly doing it tonight. And there you go. Shout out to Amy. She's a listener. She's a listener. She's a listener of our show. Um, yes. Shout outs. And shout and out. and so Tom, are you working on another book right now? Yeah. Oh, the book that I'd like to do would be this. It's a. It'll be a huge book um, about all, uh, you know, these parallel lives and orbs and. I mean, we, you know, we've got so much that we could still cover on on this program. Uh, at uh, Atlantis and Lemuria alone, uh, I'm doing this this TV series now for EPTV on on the Roku. Uh, box and, oh, yeah. um, and and what I've, is it again? E as in E T, P as in Paul. E P, yeah. Edward Paul TV. It's like uh, extraordinary phenomena TV. I think okay. it's called. And oh, okay. And my program is called the Telepathic World of Tom T. Moore. Oh, and is that in the future? Good idea. That now. There are at least two. There are at least two episodes up. A uh, third one is either up already or it'll be up this week because I've already seen the finished version with two small uh, changes I asked them to make. And, and who are the producers uh, of, of the show? Me. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I'm, I'm going to my Roku right now um, and looking at Yeah, up. and if folks, folks, if you don't have a Roku, look on the Internet. I think the cheapest is... 49 bucks and it's the future um it has been with us ever since it filled the little gap in the apple world back in the day long story it it was created for the apple um so that you could use netflix on the apple that's why it got created roku and it kept its name little roku bucks and it was 100 bucks but it was true plug and play from the moment I, i plugged it in i have never left the side of Roku, and now you go on the channel, uh, it's very easy to look through stuff, and you'll look for EP Network, right? EP. And, EP. Right, and then you just TV. hit it. EP, EP TV. TV. EP. Yeah. And then you just simply um, put it in your favorites, and it becomes mm-hmm. another one of your, you know, listening and, and looking pleasures, you yeah. see. We, have, we actually have a yeah. network with Olive Phillips, and it's called the Anomalies Network, and we kind of never really did too much. Olive, Olaf, uh, is probably growing it as we speak. But it, the, if you like Roku, and if you're a developer, I suggest you know look into uh, 
just like Tom is doing. You can get yourself on there and, you know, it's different. For, it's not like YouTube at all. Okay, it's totally more like a cable network, series yeah. of cable networks. Yeah, yeah. And you can really cut the cable and kind of yeah. pick and choose what you want as your programming. Um, it, yeah. it, it's just really a flexible platform. I've yeah. shot I've shot five shows so far. Three of them have now been edited. Now, what happens? I've sat in front of a camera and just talked for 25 minutes. But then the editor comes in and puts it on these great graphics and mm. things. So you don't have to look at my my face the whole 25 minutes. Right, right, and, right. And uh, so we've done five of these. And I've got seven more that I've, I've done pre-production on. And four of them alone are, are uh, will be on Atlantis and Lemuria. That's how much information uh, is is contained in that book. Uh, two uh, episodes, three, uh, let's see, four and five um, that I've already done will be on First Contact. So, okay, cool. That's, that's yeah. coming along. Cool. Um, we we need to get great. we need to get a PSN uh, channel on. Rooster. Yeah, we should do that. Exactly. You should absolutely. It's easy to do. That gun. It we should put on a. We should put on a play. Okay. Okay. So um, we are out of time. So I yeah. want to thank Tom. I want to thank Tom Moore for joining us, and Chris Brown for joining us, and Angel. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're back. And you, uh, from the and from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solberry Village. And you forgot Danny. Mm-hmm. And Danny. I'm sorry, Danny. <laughs> I didn't know you were here. Poor Danny. And so God. and so um, from. Beautiful downtown Sulbury, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> we are your co-hosts, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Good night, everybody. And we're saying good night, and we will see you next week on Future Theater on PSN Radio, Radio. the Dark Matter Digital Network. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.